podcast was recorded a few weeks ago, so I know early voting has just ended. But if you haven't voted yet, you still have Tuesday, and if you do plan to vote, please make sure that you know your candidates all the way down the ticket. If there's anything to be learned from my emphasis on the 25th Amendment in this episode, it's that vice presidents and who we elect to Congress matters just as much as the president. Anyway, back to your regular episode. Imagine this. There's a global pandemic. As an American, you're not super concerned. Sure, a lot of people around the world have died, but a lot have recovered, too. And, after all, your president hasn't panicked, so why should you? And then he gets sick. You'll never know how severe it really is because he controls what's publicly said about his health. I am, of course, referring to Woodrow Wilson and the flu pandemic that began in 1918. Welcome back to History Blurbs, where I tell short stories about historical figures and events. I'm Katie Smith, and today we're going to talk about the health of former presidents. I've seen Wilson's flu mentioned a lot lately in the news as it relates to current events, but I don't want to talk exclusively about him. Instead, we're going to discuss the ailments of a few different presidents and talk about how their illnesses were publicly portrayed. It goes all the way back to the first president to have gotten sick while in office, George Washington. We know there was a flu epidemic in the 1780s and 90s. Noah Webster, of dictionary fame, kept a journal detailing epidemics, comets, earthquakes, and tornadoes in the early U.S., believing that these were all related, and Ron Chernow wrote about the illness in his biography of Washington. So, 1790. Washington got this flu from James Madison. He knew Madison was sick, but in late April asked him to stop by his residence anyway. A couple of important things to note here are that they didn't understand germs the way we do today, and that New York City, still the capital at the time, was not exactly the cleanest place. Washington was initially diagnosed with a cold, which turned to pneumonia. The best doctors were called in, including Benjamin Franklin's personal physician, who was free because Ben Franklin had just died from a lung infection. Washington didn't want to alarm the public, so they did their best to sneak doctors into his residence. This ended up including some pretty conspicuous measures, like closing the street around the residence and laying down hay to muffle the sound so Washington could rest. On May 15th, a senator from Pennsylvania wrote in his journal that he had visited the president and that his life was despaired of. No one expected Washington to recover. But then he did. If Washington had died then, the U.S. would probably be vastly different. At the time of his illness, there was no written line of succession. The 25th Amendment details presidential succession, but it wasn't passed by Congress until 1965, when Congress realized there needed to be rules in place after the death of President Kennedy, and then it took another two years to ratify it. So, at the time, it fell to Washington's personal secretary to run the government for a few weeks. And that brings us to 1841 and William Henry Harrison. Harrison got sick at his inauguration and was only president for 34 days before he died. But the White House never told the public he was sick. Vice President John Tyler took over for him, but there was no precedent for this, so initially Congress gave him the title Vice President Acting President, and Tyler basically decided that he was taking the job permanently, so Congress just kind of shrugged and said, okay, that works. In reality, there was actually a lot of backlash, and Tyler's party essentially disowned him, but that's another topic entirely. All you need to know right now is that he pushed to be declared president, and he got it. So then 1881 rolls around, it's 40 years later, and James Garfield is shot at a train station. The White House reported good news. They even said he was able to rest without the aid of painkillers. 
continued improvement was reported over the next few days, and he seemed to be on the road to recovery. No need to worry. He died six weeks later from the infection caused by doctors prodding the wound. Turns out the optimism may have been partly for the benefit of Garfield himself. He often had newspapers read to him, thus joining the public to hear his own story. Another theory was that his doctor was simply overconfident in his abilities. And this doctor is a trip, y'all. And in researching this podcast, I ended up also writing one about him, so that's coming at some point. 1893. After Grover Cleveland's second inauguration, you may recall he's the only U.S. president to have served two non-consecutive terms, he noticed a rough spot on the roof of his mouth. And then it grew. He ended up being diagnosed as cancer, which was even scarier then than it is now. So the president needed surgery. The economy was already heading toward a depression, and Cleveland was worried about how news of his diagnosis might affect it. So he kept it a secret. A team of doctors performed the surgery aboard his friend's yacht as it sailed from New York to Cape Cod. They ended up extracting the tumor, five teeth, and a section of his left jawbone, all with the instructions to not touch his trademark mustache. A few weeks later, he got a rubber prosthetic to fill the space in his mouth to help him look a little more normal. More steps in an effort to keep it all a secret. And then the Philadelphia press somehow got a hold of the story. The reporter knew everything, including the names of all six doctors and people started to worry. So, aides, officials, and even the lead doctor did exactly what you would expect. They denied it. The physical evidence seemed to back this up. Cleveland's face looked the same. His voice sounded the same. Maybe it really was just a toothache, as one of his newspaper editor friends reported. The rest of the press turned on the reporter who had written the true story. It took 24 years for the truth to be confirmed by one of the surgeons. That brings us back to Woodrow Wilson in 1919. He contracted the flu in Paris. He was there for peace talks after the First World War. But the White House told the press it was just the effects of chilly, rainy weather and overworking. His flu was bad, though. He had the symptoms you would probably associate with flu, like coughing and a fever, but his mind was also very affected. He was paranoid and disoriented. More than once, he made a scene over pieces of furniture that had disappeared, even though nothing had moved. He was convinced he was surrounded by French spies. He kept barking orders at his staff. People close to Wilson said he was never quite the same. The flu severely weakened him, and some have blamed this for why he acquiesced to a peace agreement that ended up paving the way for the rise of Hitler. A few months after getting the flu, he suffered a debilitating stroke, and his wife Edith stepped in to run the country. Unofficially, of course. The stroke had left Wilson partially paralyzed and partially blind, and Edith decided to hide this too. She described her actions as a stewardship. Without the 25th Amendment, not only was there not a clear succession, there was also not a protocol for who could declare a president incapacitated. Wilson only improved slightly in the final years of his term, effectively meaning Edith was president for a year and a half. The stories continue, and there are a lot of them. Franklin Roosevelt consistently hid how bad his complications from polio were in fear of seeming weak. He also knew he had congestive heart failure before he was elected to his fourth term, but kept it under wraps because it was an election year and he believed his presidency was essential to a looming post-World War II world. He died just a few months into his fourth term. Eisenhower had a heart attack in 1955, two years into his first term while vacationing in Colorado. He was also diagnosed with Crohn's disease and had a stroke while in office. JFK repeatedly denied that he had Addison's disease. Ronald Reagan and George W. Bush both underwent surgery that saw them use the 25th Amendment to temporarily put their vice president in charge. So, 
While I generally try not to get too political on this podcast, I am going to remind you that when you vote this year, consider that our two main party presidential candidates are both older, and as a country we have a history of being lied to about the health of our leaders. The vice presidency could be more important than ever. However you decide to vote, please do it from an informed place. Know your candidates all the way down the ticket. Stay safe, and as always, thanks for listening.